You're listening to another podcast. A podcast not only of reviewing and discussing, but of discovery. A deep dive into a classic show whose influence is immeasurable. Your next stop, Anthology. Hello and welcome to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. I'm your host, Matt Hurt, and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is a podcast where I review The Twilight Zone as a first-time viewer and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology series. For archives of all of my episodes, visit AnthologyPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod, and follow me on Twitter at OVAnthologyPod. You can also rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. And, uh, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And if you'd like to support what I do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, where you can get access to exclusive audio content such as B-roll episodes, TV and book reviews, movie reaction recordings, commentary tracks, early access to podcast episodes, a whole array of tons and tons of of content on there now i have close to 400 or no no i'm sorry close to 500 um different odds and ends and reviews and stuff on patreon uh spread across a few different tier levels um I do want to say that, uh, as I've been saying for weeks now, um, I've been uh, doing episode-by-episode reviews of Dark on Netflix, which is one of the best science fiction anythings that I've seen, um, and I'm only in the second season, so <laughs> that, oh, it's 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 really freaking good. Um, I'm doing uh, um, a read-along review of Stephen King's fairy tale. I'm doing episode reviews of For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus, and uh, and uh, since I am a member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association, um, at this point it's November, November 2022. We're going into award season um, in terms of movies. So with my affiliation with the IFGA, I'm getting access to screeners to watch for review consideration um, for our awards uh, that we're going to be hashing out next month. And as a result, on Patreon, I'm doing a series of what I'm dubbing Patreon Potpourri episodes, which are kind of semi-long form reviews um, that is for the $5, $5 and above tier levels. So that's, that includes everything that, that comes at the $2 level and $1 level as well. But Patreon Potpourri, I'm excited because I take four movies um, and I just talk about them in kind of a bonus or exclusive Patreon episode. So if you want to get the inside track on what I think of movies that have come out this year that I'm watching in the end of year cram session for awards consideration, subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer at the $5 level. Uh, just for context, tomorrow... I am going to be doing a triple feature um, at the movie theater. I'm going to see um, the Banshees of Ed Sheeran or in, uh, the Banshees of Ed Sheeran or whatever. Um, it's I think it's Ed uh, Sheeran. Um, Till Smile and oh, th- those are the three. Those are the three. And I'm excited because the Patreon potpourri episode I'm going to do is also going to cover a documentary called Hold Your Fire. So I'm just, this is so lame, it's so silly, but um, I'm excited because the Patreon potpourri episode is basically going to be um, <laughs> 
hold your fire till the banshees of insurance smile. Um, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> and then I'm also going to do a Patreon potpourri episode covering official, uh, official competition. Um, oh, Kimmy and two other movies. I don't remember a uh, flux gourmet. And what was the other one? The other one was, Oh, spin me around. So anyway, there's a lot of stuff on Patreon. Check that out. If you want to support what I do, um, if not, that's fine. Uh, but also check out my other shows, Obsessive Viewer and Tower Junkies. But uh, once again, all of that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Or if you want to see my other shows, go to uh, go to obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. Now, uh, today on the show, I'm a little bit late. I do apologize. Usually I like to, recently I've been doing like, um, I've been I've been recording um, about a week in advance and then throwing the throwing the episodes up on Patreon and then po- posting them on Thursdays. Um, this week was long, lengthy, hard, just very bad mental health week. So um, I did not get a chance to record this until tonight, which is Friday night. So I apologize for the delay. I'm going to hopefully have next week's episode up on uh, Patreon early next week, but I have a uh, I have a schedule of craziness next week. Um, I have four four screenings, four screenings, uh, press screenings that I'm going to next week uh, for Glass Onion, um, uh, Bones and All, Strange World, and uh, uh, White Noise, which those four are going to be a Patreon poopery thing. So check that out, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Anyway, I am rambling because I feel like I'm out of practice because it's been several days since I've recorded anything for podcasts or Patreon. So today on the show, <laughs> now that I'm finally to the point where I'm recording an episode of Anthology, um, today I will be discussing Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, which is the 30th episode of The Twilight Zone's third season, which originally aired on April 13th, 1962. And of course, I will be rounding out the episode with a brief review of Science Fiction Theater Season 1, Episode 37, Sound of Murder, which interesting to note that if you have the DVD set, the official DVD set that's out of print for science fiction theater, Sound of Murder, weirdly enough, appears on the first disc of the set and not the fourth disc where the rest of the the episodes in this run are. So I thought that was kind of curious and strange. But uh, but if you were looking at that and were worried that you were missing an episode, no worries, it's on disc one. Um, so before I get into all of that, I do have a couple of quick things from the world of fiction and science, which is my, uh, weird segment where I talk about, um, some stuff that I've experienced or, or consumed in science fiction or fantasy storytelling, uh, since my last recording. And I haven't really gotten a chance to to watch or, uh, watch or read or anything, any science fiction, uh, recently, but I do have two notes. One is that the, uh, I think today, <laughs> um, Circuit Breakers on Apple TV Plus premiered. And I say, I think, because I, like, there was an issue that I couldn't get access to them, 
Um, so I have an email in, so I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to do a bonus episode, a bonus episode series for it because I haven't watched it yet, but that could possibly be coming. But, um, I believe that it, it was supposed to premiere today and, um, I have a, I have an email out there to see why I don't have access to it. Um, but, uh, Circuit Breakers, if you didn't hear last time, um, Circuit Breakers is a kind of, uh, kids slash family sci-fi anthology series. It's going to be, I think, seven episodes total, and it's uh, it's all about science fiction and and uh, dealing with issues that kids experience and everything. So I'm very curious about it. I was kind of hoping I would get kind of you know uh, press access to it early, which I usually do with this kind of thing, but I, I didn't, and now I don't have access to it at all. So, um, so I will check it out. Maybe I'll talk about it in, in the world of fiction and science segment, or maybe I'll do bonus episodes. That all remains to be seen, but basically I want to just finish out season three of the Twilight Zone, um, uh, before the end of the year. That's still my goal. Um, yeah. And then the other piece of news or the world of fiction and science segment segment that I have is that sadly today, this, this kind of struck, this kind of hurt, this, this kind of hit me hard, I guess. Um, Kevin Conroy passed away today and Kevin Conroy, for those who don't know, is, is most well known for his voice work with Batman. He voiced Batman in Batman, the animated series, several of the animated films and uh, the Arkham uh, Arkham games, Arkham City, Arkham Asylum, Arkham Knight. Um, he was a legend, and I apparently he passed away from a long illness, and it's just it it, it kind of hurt a little bit. It kind of it kind of stung a little bit for me. I usually don't I usually don't get too affected by celebrity deaths or anything, but. Um, Kevin Conroy is something, he's someone a little special because he is, I know a lot of people have said this and for me that it's true too. He is the definitive Batman. And I, I mean, Batman is an incredible character (laughs) and incredible, just mainstay of, of culture and everything. Um, and just to lose Kevin Conroy is, is kind of, it's, it's just really sad. It's really sad. So I highly recommend um, checking out Batman the Animated Series or the Arkham games or anything else that he worked on as Batman because he is like the the kind of timber of his voice is that is Bruce Wayne slash Batman to me. Like no matter what, like you any other iteration of Batman, I judge against Kevin Conroy's voice work. And what's weird is that I didn't like grow up watching Batman, the animated series or anything. I came to Kevin Conroy through the Arkham games. And that's where I kind of fell into the lore of Batman outside of movie, the movie franchises and everything. And that's the, those games are very instrumental to me to really enrich like the lore of Batman. And Kevin Conroy's performance is just the stuff of legends and there's plenty of science fiction stuff in Batman lore. Um, and, and it's just, it's, it's his passing leaves, uh, takes, takes a big toll, but he left behind an, an incredible legacy. So rest in peace to Kevin Conroy and, uh, check out Batman, the animated series and the Arkham games. So 
Now that we've gone through the world of fiction and science, let's talk about Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. And before I get into it, actually, um, <laughs> what I knew before going into this episode was somewhat, not not a lot, but all I knew is that basically, in full disclosure, I accidentally saw part of the plot summary. So I got that, from that I got that it takes place at what I believed was a rural, rural gas station. And that I also knew that the main character's name was Frisbee, so I could see that if I didn't know that, I probably would have thought that it had something to do with Frisbee, because that's, you know, that's a unique name. Um, And just from those two, like, pieces of information I had, I basically gathered that someone named Frisbee experiences some kind of hocus-pocus at a gas station. And then I started to wonder if maybe he's the owner of the gas station, or if he's a visitor. And... I did have this feeling that I was kind of right about, um, that given the title, that it might be a comedy episode, which, like I said, pretty, pretty on the nose about that. Um, so, so yeah, so let me get into the plot summary, courtesy of the Twilight Zone Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic by Martin Grahams Jr., and once, uh, as, as always, <laughs> I'm going to be spoiling this episode of The Twilight Zone from here on out. So there's your warning. If you have not watched Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, uh, please watch it and come back and listen to my review. So here we go. Plot summary, courtesy of Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. Mr. Frisbee, the proprietor of a general store where the retired members of town hang out, has built a reputation for telling tall tales. While the, while the townsfolk humor him, two visitors arrive in town to check out the man whose reputation precedes the stories. A short time later, they offer Frisbee an invitation for adventure, whisking him away to their flying saucer stationed outside town limits. Inside the craft, the space aliens explain that their mission was to seek a representative of Earth, and they hope the most intelligent. They chose Mr. Frisbee because of the yarns they overheard, but when he explains that he is a country boy with a big mouth, the aliens are puzzled. The words lies and exaggerations are not in their vocabulary. Mr. Frisbee is discontented when he learns that the spaceship, that the, (laughs) that the space aliens when he learns what the space aliens want to do with him. But when he plays his harmonica, the aliens find themselves in pain. The instrument uh, emits a death noise to the space visitors. In desperation for their lives, the aliens set Mr. Frisbee free before they launch. When he returns to his general store, Frisbee tells the story of his encounter, but the men laugh it off, assuming his story is another in the chapter of Frisbee's Tall Tales. My voice cracked very bad when I said tales. <laughs> uh, this episode stars Andy Devine as Frisbee, which this is his only episode of The Twilight Zone. However, he has some notable credits that include Stagecoach, um, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, and Robin Hood. And uh, appearing as alien number one is Milton Selzer. This is his first of two episodes of The Twilight Zone. Next we'll see from him is in season five's The Masks, which I think is interesting because from what I remember or what like basically what I have in my brain um, about The Mask is that is that I think the design of the masks or faces in the masks 
are in my mind they are similar to the alien designs in this episode so we'll see when we get to season five um but i maybe it's just kind of jumbled in my brain but uh he also uh, milton selzer also has a has a deep um some kind of deep interesting ties at least to uh to serling and the twilight zone because he appeared in the yellow canary in 1963 which was uh, was of course written by serling i believe that i reviewed it early in the podcast life um uh i don't i don't have the episode offhand but um he also appeared in an episode of Bob Hope Presents the Crystal, or I'm sorry, the Chrysler Theater. Uh, the episode was titled The Command. It was written by Serling. And he also appeared, and this is really interesting. So he appeared in an episode of the show Ironside in 1972 called Bubble Bubble Toil and Murder. And that that's such, it's such an interesting episode because um this episode of that episode of Ironside uh Rod Serling appears in it in a role at, like he's he he acts in it he acts in it um he plays uh a character named Thyros uh which is shopkeeper and it's interesting because I believe I think I read I don't have it all, I don't have it in my notes but I believe that this is like that was like one of his one of like only 3 roles in Serling's filmography where he actually acted on screen. Um so I thought that was an interesting connection. Some other information about uh, that episode of Ironside, again, it's called Bubble Bubble Toil and Murder, um, is that uh Jodie Foster appears in the episode, which I thought was kind of not random but interesting given the career that she had, uh, the career that she's had. Um, and I thought, I thought this was very interesting. He, uh, the episode was actually directed by Christian Nyby the second, who is the son of Christian Nyby who directed showdown with Rance McGrew. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. And so that's, that's all I have on Milton. What was his name? Milton Sulzer. Um, and rounding out the cast is, uh, Peter Brocco as alien number three. Uh, this is his second of two Twilight Zone appearances. We, we previously saw him way back in season one's the four of us are dying. And he also appeared in Twilight Zone, the movie in the kick the can segment. And he also appeared in one episode of Night Gallery in 1972 in a segment called Deliveries in the Rear. And then outside of Twilight Zone and Rod Serling, uh, Peter Brocco also appeared in one episode of The Outer Limits in 1964. That episode was iRobot. And so with the cast out of the way, writer for this episode was Rod Serling. This episode was based on a story by Frederick Frederick Louis Fox, who had a story by credit for Showdown with Rance McGrew. I'll talk more about that, or at least I'll talk more about the story that was the basis for this episode later in trivia. Um, but director for this episode was Lamont Johnson, making his seventh of eight Twilight Zone directorial efforts. Uh, previously, we saw from him was, I think that was last week, yeah, uh, four o'clock. And then next we'll see from him, next and last really, is Passage on the Lady Anne. So that is the uh, talent rundown for uh, Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. I almost forgot the name of the, the name of the episode. 
So let me go into my thoughts on this episode of The Twilight Zone. And first up, the first thing I want to say is that I'm really not a fan of that different tone to the theme song that's come up now. It just feels a little bit... I I can't really can't really put into words why I don't like it but just the tone just seems off. Maybe it's because I've had you know 30 some um uh almost 30 um episodes of the season 3 theme song and and opening credits and then now it's changed a little bit and maybe that's that's just what's throwing me off. But it is kind of distracting a little bit. But I mean, it's it's the opening theme song. It's not a it's not a deterrent to me watching the show, obviously. So the episode opens on a general store. Um, so not necessarily a gas station. It's gas station and, and kind of convenience store hybrid, I guess. But it's Frisbee's general store. So he is the proprietor. And my immediate thought, and I think that this probably just says maybe not a lot about me personally, but I just think that it's kind of funny that I immediately thought, and I was so cocky in my notes, I put, so this is a period episode because it's clearly the, like the Old West. And uh, it's not. It's present day. It's 1962. Um, it's just a small town in the present day. And, uh, it's, I, I just thought it was funny cause I, I, this goes for a little bit for me, but I thought it was funny that I thought that it took place in the old West at first, but just, no, it's just, it, you know, it's just the country. It's just a, a, uh, a small, a small town. And so, uh, it goes a little bit further because when we get into the store and we see Frisbee talking and telling all of his, all of his embellished, uh, stories and everything, he is talking about how they needed artillery support. And my immediate thought was like, oh, he must be talking about the Civil War. <laughs> because that's, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of just funny. Uh, I had egg on my face when I realized that it was present day. Um, but then Frisbee starts playing the harmonica and everyone groans and everything, which I thought was a nice bit of foreshadowing um, for the ending. I will say right up top that I... This was a unique episode because it begins, the way it begins, I found myself in this first act really trying to figure out if I should be rooting for Frisbee or if I should be hoping that he had some like supernatural element to him because I found it very hard to appreciate or relate to him or anything because I just had, I just had just... Uh, a hard time getting in getting into it um but i do appreciate the as the episode goes on i should say it it i kind of it turned a corner for me we'll get to that when i get later in the in the review but i do like the level of comedy here because there is a lot of it's almost like um there's a lot of overlap with dialogue and there's a lot of people calling him out on his on his fabrications, on his stories, and and uh, uh, calling out plot holes and everything, like saying like, well, wait, you know, you said that you were, like, how could you go from Paris to Berlin in an hour? And I thought you said you were in the balloon corps and everything. Um, so there's a lot of that. But what I didn't realize until until it became apparent at the end is that 
as much as Frisbee likes to throw out these wild stories that are clearly made up, clearly embellished and everything, there was a switch in my brain where I thought that, okay, is this reflective of a sadness in his life? Or or what? But there was a switch to where I realized that like his friends and the people in the store need that or they want that from him also. So I'll talk more about that. But I do like how the episode makes its tone apparent pretty early on because as Frisbee is concluding some far-fetched story, uh, the old man stops and he just says horseradish. <laughs> And I love that because it's a, maybe not double entendre, but it's, you immediately think like, oh, he's just, he's calling out Frisbee like everyone else is, but he's like, no, I just want to know where the horseradish is. So I thought that was really, that was really nice. Um, and then he, the, the men start calling him, calling Frisbee a liar because of, like I said, he said that they, he led, he led a platoon from Paris to Berlin in an hour. And they say, like, well, how could that be? How could you lead them from Paris to Berlin in just one hour? That's impossible. And I liked this because Frisbee Frisbee stops. He he kind of stalls for time by checking on the on the customer and saying, like, hey, did you find the radishes and everything? Um and he's like, Yeah, yeah. And then once he gets back to it, he's like, Well, you know, I found a back route, and that's how we got it and everything. That's why it was so incredible and everything. And then from there it escalates to someone saying that, you know, you said that you were in the balloon corps and you shot down German planes with a handgun, <laughs> which is just wild and crazy and everything. And um uh, and so Frisbee just like leans into that and it's like, Well, that was a year later. That was that was the other year. That was in 1917. Um and this is where I started to have like this level of, of conflict with my thoughts on Frisbee as a character, because he's clearly like, I knew right from the jump that he is a character who embellishes and tells these fantastical stories, these tall tales. And my main concern this early in the episode is what was to figure out or was to, was to know to what end is he doing this? Why, what is the purpose of this? Um, because I was conflicted because I don't like that. <laughs> like That's not a good quality in a person. Like someone who is constantly pathologically lying about things, I, they can't, I, I can't necessarily trust them, trust their word on anything. Like that's something that it, my, in my personal life, like I feel like that's a very important thing is to be honest and, and not not lie like that's just it's so it's a it's an elementary school thing and to see a character who's a grown man um it just saying all of these ridiculous stories it's a little off-putting it, it is a little off-putting and makes me not want to root for him and the conflict with that is that he seems like a very pleasant person <laughs> like he seems pleasant enough he seems very like he, he doesn't, that's where I was kind of conflicted and confused because he's telling these stories, but I don't know why, because he seems perfectly happy and perfectly okay with his station in life and everything. And I couldn't really understand or grasp what the purpose of that was at this moment. So then he gets up and he looks out the window and says, yeah, 
<laughs> Rain's coming, and he asks if anyone knows anything about meteorology, and then says that he majored in uh, in meteorology in college, and he got a doctorate at the age of thirteen, and and they still use his thesis for textbooks and everything. And at this point, again, I'm like, what is this guy's deal? Like, what is like I was trying so hard not to be put off by Frisbee. Because, again, I don't like the idea of someone just making up accomplishments and making up, like, this important, like, puffing his chest out stature that he has. And at this point, because I was trying to understand Frisbee and his motivations and everything, I began to hope that it was all real. Like, I was really hoping that maybe it would come, maybe it would become a story that's similar to, like, Long Live Walter Jameson, where maybe he's, like, this immortal man. Because, again, Frisbee seems really pleasant. And I found that, like, as I was trying to figure out, like, where the episode was going, I found myself wanting to, wanting him to have lived all of these lives. And, um, because I feel like that would have made the fact that he just runs this general store in what looks like a very small town, uh, it would make it seem like he, uh, I don't know, it would make it seem like he was now settled down in his life, like into an unassuming if boisterous shop owner, but that's not the case, obviously. And then the other side of that is that if that were the case, if he was like, or if he wasn't, um, the alternative, I should say, the alternative to that theory is that he runs a general store in what looks like, like I said, a small town. And that would make his embellishing all of these stories ring a little bit sad because I thought I was worried that the episode was going to go down a route where his life isn't exciting or memorable enough to really make a big name for himself or he has all of these ideas of how he could have thrived in his life if he had done things so instead of instead of kind of uh i don't know instead instead of having this contentment with his life he has to tell these tall tales to build himself up I feel like neither one, neither one of those circumstances are the case. Thankfully, um, because it ends, the episode leads to a point where I, it kind of just crystallizes in a way to make it a more complete narrative in a way that I wasn't expecting, which I'll talk more about at the end of the review. But I just thought that that was really, I was really, ex I, I, I'm really glad, I should say, that that this episode didn't go the very downer, dour kind of dark path that so many episodes previous to this have been doing. Like these dark twists of fate and everything. Um, punishing, punishing evildoers kind of thing. I was really, at the end of the day, I was very glad that we got an episode that's, that's more pleasant and good-natured um, with this episode. So, uh, anyway, so he talks about meteorology and says that, you know, old cumulus frisbee, that's what they called me. And then, and then he 
he switches gears again. And again, I'm still feeling he's a little bit off-putting here because he immediately switches gears and says, did I ever tell you guys the time I did a demonstration with the computer machines? <laughs> um, and he tells this ridiculous story about how they had a line of computers that were doing these equations and everything, and he beat them all without a pencil or paper, all with his mind, and that a few of them were giving the wrong answers, a few of them broke down because they couldn't understand it. And I'm just, I'm just like, this is like, why is he doing this? That was my main concern. And so at this point, one of the men in the, in the store just kind of can't take it anymore. And he calls him out and tells him that in order for it to be true, Frisbee would have to be a hundred people living a hundred different lives. He needs to stop telling these crazy lies and everything. And I initially thought, like this moment, I was like, oh, that's it. That's the episode. That's what this episode is, that Frisbee has lived multiple lifetimes. He has been a hundred people living a hundred lives. No idea how that could have possibly been demonstrated and everything, because... Uh, I don't know. I just thought that I thought that that's where the episode was going. At the end of the day, I'm kind of glad that it wasn't, though, because... Um, because as I will demonstrate as I go through uh, this review and everything, there's something charming about old regular guy Frisbee, as I like to call him. So I don't know. It's just it's this is an interesting setup because it's demonstrating or it's introducing us to this character that on paper, at least for me, I would not I would not want to follow this character because he would be he would seem just obnoxious and, and irritating to me. But there's a level of um charm and and good-naturedness that Andy Devine brings to the role that I feel like is goes a very long way to make me forgive those um, issues that I have with the character on paper. So the cold open ends with a car horn blaring and Frisbee looking out the window and going out to greet the customers as Rod Serling enters the store and we get the opening narration which I will play right now. The reluctant gentleman with the sizable mouth is Mr. Frisbee. He has all the drive of a broken camshaft and the aggressive vinegar of a corpse. As you've no doubt gathered, his big stock in trade is the tall tail. Now, what he doesn't know is that the visitors out front are a very special breed, destined to change his life beyond anything even his fertile imagination could manufacture. The place is Pitchville Flats. The time is the present. But Mr. Frisbee's on the first leg of a rather fanciful journey into the place we call... The Twilight Zone. All right. So this opening narration immediately just obviously answers so many of my questions from the from the cold open. Um, Frisbee is a liar and likes to tell tall tales. So that goes that throws away pretty much all of my theories that I had for this episode. So when we come back from the opening narration, we see Frisbee standing outside and doing some like stretches and then going up to the customers and again, I struggled to really get behind Frisbee as a character here because he immediately starts telling the men about how, oh, he invented the rear engine automobile and how Henry Ford called him up and and flew him down uh, or flew him up to Detroit. And by the end of the day, he had developed the rear engine automobile, you know, old rear engine Frisbee is what he called me. It's like that... And I know that I know that we need this for the episode because of the because of what the episode is, 
but just the fact that this guy like there's there it's one thing for for a guy to just be entertaining his friends with these ridiculous exaggerations and stories and everything but i feel like it's another thing entirely that he just kind of just does this buffoonish doofus like behavior where he's where he's bragging about accomplishments that he could not have possibly achieved to perfect strangers who are customers to him it just feels it feels weird and and doesn't really work for me but the two men in the car uh look at him they're very polite and everything and uh they ask he uh he frisbee offers to fill them up and everything and so he does it and i i like this because there was that point where <laughs> after he after he has talked about how he developed this car and everything um they have to point out where the gas needs to be put in which i thought was a, that i thought that was a nice uh, a nice bit of comedy um there's some good comedy here like it's same uh, there's a level of subtlety to that that's similar to the horseradish thing in the in the cold open um, but as he's filling up the car, the men talk amongst themselves saying like, oh, this is the man. This is the one that we, this is the one that we're here for. And they start talking about all of his accomplishments and everything. And at this point I'm like, okay, that means that they're aliens and they're going to abduct him. Um, and they think that he really has done all of these things. Now, full disclosure, I actually got spoiled that aliens were involved in this when I, was watching the episode for the first time because I paused it to to uh, copy and paste the opening narration like an idiot, um, and I saw something about aliens, but uh, but I did get that sense like yeah they're gonna take him because he has told all of these lies about his accomplishments, so um, after they pay him uh, way too much for the, for for it uh, because they don't understand uh, currency. Uh, they leave and tell him kind of ominously that they'll see him before long. So Frisbee walks back inside and he tells the men in the store that, oh yeah, those were some odd fellas. Um, and I loved the quip that one of the men in the store says. He says, uh, what, did they believe what you were telling them? <laughs> Which I thought that was a nice, that was a nice bit of banter and everything. And it really goes kind of a long way to demonstrate the end of the episode or to maybe not foreshadow the end of the episode but pay off in the end of the episode with what his storytelling is for um for all of the you know the characters the the friends that he has and everything so um as uh the men uh as, as all of uh, as the the crowd disperses in the store um frisbee starts kind of locking up and he hears this disembodied voice telling him to walk out of the store and walk in a certain direction so that he can have quite an adventure and i thought that that was um kind of at long last we've got the um we've got the twilight zone element like it's been a little bit of, uh, quite a bit of build up and everything but this gives it an interesting element that it's it's this these alien aliens are coercing him to leave and so uh as uh as he is getting like as he's reacting to the voice the voice says uh he asks if frisbee is afraid and i thought that that was really interesting and in telling of frisbee's character because he says 
like he he kind of falls back into that whole tall tales lying thing he says you know me old stonewall frisbee (laughs) um and he starts discussing or describing in detail some wild war heroics that he did and again at this point i just feel like he's kind of a doofus like i don't necessarily like him in this moment um but it is comical and it's entertaining. So that that's kind of where I'm like at at a baseline. Like it's entertaining. I don't like the character yet, but it's entertaining to see him kind of have this insecurity kind of thing where he is trying to put up a front by telling these ridiculous lies. So um, as he's describing his heroics and everything, Frisbee is looking around the shop as he's kind of like wandering through, as he's kind of like waiting for someone to come out and everything. And then he says that he isn't going to go for a walk because it looks like rain. And I thought that that was interesting. And maybe I'm d- diving a little bit too deep into this and a little too analytical, which is probably if you're listening to episode 94 of this podcast, you know what this is about. But I feel like that is evident of like some kind of deep seated insecurity kind of thing. Like, uh, and like this insecurity of, of not wanting to admit that he's afraid, like saying like, yeah, I'm not going to go for a walk. Not because I'm afraid of this disembodied voice that is, that has this kind of threatening tone to me or anything, not because of that, but because it looks like it's going to rain. Um, so I, I kind of like that. I kind of think that's an interesting character element to him. And so then he asks who's speaking and the voice kind of just doesn't answer or doesn't doesn't give him a response and uh, except for saying that uh, he'll find out if he walks down the street. (laughs) And that is a little bit unsettling. But Frisbee walks outside and he tells the voice to wait until he puts his things away and everything. But the voice just immediately says, like, nope, that won't be necessary because you won't be coming back. And then Frisbee is pulled into the sky and set down a, in like a uh, in a field next to the flying saucer. And I thought that, that was a that was a really fun uh, that was a really fun visual effect because that really helps solidify or not, maybe not even solidify at this point, because we already know what the tone of the episode is. Uh, at that point, but that really just leans into the fantastical and larger than life um, tone of the story and the comedy tone of it, because it's it's silly to see him just float in the air like that, that quick shot of him flying through the air and the sound design of like the like there's like a like a like a sound effect that's added to it. That's like like that kind of sound effect. It's really great because of the tone of the episode. And it's really showing us that like, yeah, okay. even though the voice said that he won't be coming back, which is pretty ominous and alarming, the tone of his abduction is steeped in comedy or in a lighthearted nature. So you know that even though it is pretty, you know, alarming and unsettling or ominous, you know that by the end of the episode, this isn't going to be like a tragic episode. This is this is still going to be a fun, lighthearted episode. So at this point, after the abduction, um, I'm beginning to think that he is being selected to be an ambassador for the aliens or some like representative, which I was pretty spot on with. Um, 
and we see that he is by a spaceship, uh, which we at this point can recognize as from Forbidden Planet and all of that. Um, but he's at the spaceship and the voice says that they're all waiting inside for him. And the voice asks him if he's impressed with their flying saucer, which I thought was kind of funny. And there was a nice hint at the kind of, again, I'm going to use this word again, the doofus-like nature of the aliens uh, and the gullibility of the aliens. Because you have these, this like vastly more, more technologically advanced species of aliens that are asking like, do you like our spaceship? Is it cool? Do you, do you think it's cool? Do you, are you impressed? Um, so I don't know. There's just a little bit of charm to that because these aliens are not the brightest. Um, and I just, I think it's, it's a little bit fun. So, uh, but Frisbee's response is again, again, doing the lying, the, he's pathological, I swear, because he says like, oh, what this, you know, this looks like a flea on a dog compared to the one that I developed for the, for the U.S. government and the space agency and everything. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's a weird kind of thing because he's not trying to one up anyone. He's just, he's just bragging about things he didn't do and it's just kind of weird so anyway they lower the ramp and he walks in and uh the the people in there uh welcome him and uh tell him that you know they welcome him to the ship basically and so frisbee in a way to kind of rationalize the unexplainable nature of what he what is happening to him he just says like, oh, I get it. This this ship is a movie prop. Well, you know, one of those movie props, which I thought was funny because obviously, I mean, obviously anything in the show is a prop because it's a show. But I do like that it's reusing the Forbidden Planet, um, uh, a bunch of Forbidden Planet stuff, including the kind of the sphere thing. Um, so it's reusing that and he's talking about it as a movie prop. So I, I, I don't know. I like that. So... Um, so they, they explained to him that they are from another planet and, uh, that he will not be leaving and they raise up the ramp and we get an act break. And when we come back, um, we have the aliens asking Frisbee all of these questions, asking him about, <laughs> about his research and liquid propellants, you know, old liquid, liquid propellant Frisbee is what he called him. And he's still lying about things. This is where I'm just like, okay, I don't, I, he's losing me here because he's, he's a very charming individual. He is very good natured. And by the end of the episode, I respect, like, I, I enjoy what they're going for, uh, with this character, but he's being abducted by aliens and he's still talking about how he, he developed liquid propellants and stuff. I'm like, just you know, cut it out. Stop. Like it's, it's weird, but I do appreciate, or I do understand that, um, even though that does lose a little bit of charm with me from him, it is still indicative of him being afraid. And, and he is, this is falling back on a defense mechanism that he has. So I can understand it. So it's not that much of an issue with me for, for that character, uh, and that particular character trait. But he then says that he's answered all their questions and uh, now he has to go home for supper. And uh, 
uh, one of the aliens says that in 14 minutes, the ship will be departing for their planet. And he says, confirming my, my, uh, my theory, he says that our assignment here was to secure a representative earth person, um, which all of that just feels very silly. And like, it's, it's, it should be, we've had an episode like this. We've had an episode like, um, people are like all over had a similar style where aliens took a, took a human and put him in a cage. That's essentially what these aliens are talking about doing to Frisbee, but there's a different tone to it. It is very kind of lighthearted and good natured and and fun. And I think most of that is due to Andy Devine in his performance, because this next line is where I kind of come back to him. I kind of come back to appreciating him and being charmed by the character because he says, um, he says, oh, me, I'm, I'm just a country boy with a big mouth. Uh, I spend the biggest lies west of the Rockies. <laughs> and I'm just like, finally, he finally he's copying, he's copying to his lies. Like he's admitting that he's a liar. Um, and I just found this to be a fun situation for the character. Like it is, it is a situational comedy kind of thing. Uh, it's a sitcom thing because the aliens say that they don't understand what the word lies mean. And so Frisbee like puts it together and says that like, oh, okay, so you're telling me that everything you hear, you take as fact. You have no idea what lying is, which I thought that that was a little bit like that dialogue was a little bit too direct and to the point because I feel like that left that left a void of comedy there. Um, um, like I think, I feel like there should have been something a little bit more richer in the comedy respect for that. I don't have an example offhand of what it could be, but, uh, but I do feel like that was just a little bit too like on the nose. And so Frisbee then transitions out of that and he's like, well, no, I'm an American citizen. I have rights and everything. And he starts to get agitated. So he punches that he, he punches an alien and the clay mask comes off. And that alien design is just really cool. I feel like I've seen, I've seen like people dressed up as that either in cosplay for Twilight Zone stuff or just in, in, uh, just pop culture and everything. I did not know that it was from this, but I just, I really like that design. Um, I thought I, I, think that it's a really cool, uh, really cool and not necessarily a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing, but it, it kind of, I don't know. It's not, it's not really put, um, and it, it, there's really not an emphasis on it. Um, it's just there and it's just a natural kind of weird alien depiction. So I don't know. I appreciated that. So, um, in this moment, Frisbee faints and we get, uh, him waking up later in bed and he taught like the aliens are talking to him and he says that, you know, I've seen a lot of things, um, you know, when I was really drunk and everything, but I haven't seen anything like what you guys are like. And then we learn that they're, that takeoff is in five minutes. So the time, the timetable is, is pretty, you know, advanced now. Um, and like, it's, it's crazy because this episode is paced pretty quickly. Once we get past that opening, the cold open and everything, because 
at this point, Frisbee is trying to work out how to get out of there. And so he takes out his harmonica and plays it. And uh, the aliens just freak out. And I, this is where things sort of click together for me a little bit. Like I, I kind of got a big, like there was a big like laugh out of me when the alien just like he, he, almost like he he does fall to the ground when he hears the harmonica and just like the piercing sound and the way that he's covering his head is just very very comical and i just i thought that it was pretty funny that the aliens obviously they can't stand the sound so i figured okay this is how frisbee is going to escape and that's what happens and my favorite line of the episode then happens because as Frisbee is running through playing the harmonica saying that, you know, they called me old mile a minute Frisbee and everything. Um, and he plays it. There's this line just slayed me. Absolutely slayed me because one of the aliens says, don't follow him. He has some sort of fantastic instrument that lets out a death sound, (laughs) which I thought was really great. And I thought that was really great and really sums up the gullibility and, the doofus-like nature of the aliens. And I feel like that kind of clicks together in a really fun way for the overall episode. I just, I really appreciated that. So at this point, I'm like, okay, I know how this is going to end. He's going to return to the store and no one's going to believe his story. Um, And I was pleasantly surprised because I was right. But when he gets to the store, this kind of completely threw me for a loop because uh, everyone is there and they're like, oh, hey, it's your birthday. Here's a, here's a surprise party for you. And I did think that that seemed weirdly random. Like it just felt like, I felt like maybe there should have been like a line or some, some indication earlier in the episode to kind of seed that, but there's not. So I I can't really complain all that much, but they give him, there's, there's this like, um, there's this air of appreciation for Frisbee and they give him a, uh, a gift that he opens and it's a trophy and, <laughs> and they like, t- they tell him to read it. They tell him to read it and everything. And he's just kind of flabbergasted. He's, he's gobsmacked because of what he, what just happened to him. And so he finally, uh, I think, I, I can't remember if he reads it or someone else reads. It. I think someone else reads it. Um, but it says like world's greatest liar, uh, Somerset Frisbee, uh, uh, to Somerset Frisbee from his friends, uh, for the occasion of his 63rd birthday or something like that. And then here's where the episode really clicks together for me. And this is where I kind of completely turn the corner and I just shed all of my, um, all of my kind of issues and conflicts with the story and with the character and everything, because after they read the inscription on the trophy, they start begging him to make a speech. Like, like the old man, uh, tells him to make a speech and says that, um, says that I've been waiting all day to, to hear you, to hear you just say some, one of your crazy stories and everything. And so everyone's cheering him on. And then I love this because then he tells them the story about the men and about the aliens and how like they tried to abduct him and everything. And then he escaped because he had his harmonica and everything. And it's hilarious because the group is eating it up. They are eating up this story. They're enjoying it. It is very fun for them. It's entertaining. And Frisbee, Frisbee says like, no, 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 it's the truth. I'm telling you. But then 
even then, like, I think that there was a risk of this episode faltering a little bit in this moment, but fortunately it doesn't because Frisbee lets go of, lets go of that. He lets go of the idea of telling them that, oh yeah, this is actually a true story because he is just wrapped up in telling the story too. So that kind of creates this overall sort of tone or overall um, message, I guess, or theme for the story that Frisbee is a character who embellishes his life and tells all of these wild, tall tales and everything. Um, But it's not for a malicious purpose. It's not for an insecurity that he has. It's not for this sadness that he feels about his life not turning out the way that he wanted it to. It's nothing as deep and depressing, really, as that. Because what it comes down to is that he is a storyteller. He is someone who just wants to tell he these stories and entertain his friends. And I just find a level of warmth and charm in that. Um, and at the end, by the end of this episode, as like we're about to get to the closing narration, we see everyone laughing, but it's not in like this ridiculing way. It is just this very like, oh, we have like we're in the presence of a fun a fun storyteller person and he's enriching our lives with his crazy antics and everything. And that kind of just puts this whole episode in perspective as this really good natured and, and pleasant episode. And yeah, so, uh, so I really, I, I came around to it and enjoyed it. And then we, uh, then get the closing narration, a brief one from Rod Serling, which I will play right now. Mr. Somerset Frisbee, who might have profited by reading an Aesop fable about a boy who cried wolf. Tonight's tall tale from the Timberlands of the Twilight Zone. So a couple of things at the end of this episode is that uh, a couple of things are, I should say, is that I ended up enjoying this episode pretty well, as I said. Um, It's fun, good natured, but still has a point and message behind it. Um, And it's really this nice release valve in in the chronology of the series after having such a what seems to me in my memory to be a pretty long run of mostly episodes of, um, you know, kind of dark or darker storylines and, and more thought provoking kind of in a negative way sort of thing. And these stories about characters that are kind of reprehensible in some cases. So to have a run of like pretty cruel twists, twists of fate episodes, and then get a Somerset Frisbee episode is a pretty nice, a pretty nice thing, a pretty nice reprieve in the chronology. So I did, I did appreciate that. Um, and think that that was, that was just what I needed after a run of episodes. Um, the other thing I want to say is that this episode, like at the end of this episode, it makes me wonder if, and I, and I kind of, I hesitate to make this comparison or I, I hesitate to bring this theory out because I don't like this kind of, and I think I've said this before, I don't like this kind of armchair kind of philosophy sort of thing or, or, um, or I don't know, interpretation, I should say, but it kind of makes me wonder if 
what if the episode i think that there is a certain way that you could read the episode as a fantasy of frisbees so it makes me wonder like were there ever really aliens or is this a is this something that frisbee just concocted in his brain and we saw his imagination we saw we we saw we saw a visual representation of his imagination coming up with this story and so that he entertained and entertained his friends um afterward um i feel like that's kind of a fun little thought experiment ultimately it doesn't matter like it just doesn't matter one bit um because at the end of the day it's still the same story um but it's kind of fun a fun little mind um i don't know mind thing that you can do with your mind i don't know <laughs> i don't know uh like i said i'm out of practice with recording it's been a few days <laughs> so uh overall this was a pretty solid episode and also as i'm talking as i was reviewing it i realized that this episode feels like it maybe inspired Tim Burton's movie Big Fish, or maybe maybe it wasn't a direct uh, a, a direct um, influence on it. But the similarities are kind of interesting. I have not seen Big Fish in well over a decade, probably since it first came out, and I think like two thousand four or something. So well over a decade. Um, but I remember loving that movie and and kind of crying and weeping at the end of it. But um, but if you liked this this type of story and this um, this kind of tall tale Aesop's fable kind of thing, um, check out uh, Big Fish. Um, so yeah, it was pretty good. So some trivia for this episode. Um, there's a list of Frisbee's, uh, nicknames and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to just ramble them off. Uh, so we've got old Infilatin' Frisbee, old Cumulus Frisbee, old Archimedes Frisbee, old Rear Engine Frisbee, Stonewall Frisbee, old Rocket Sauce Frisbee, old liquid propellant frisbee and of course old mile a minute frisbee which is what he says at the end as he's running through the ship um i could not i didn't the numerous times i watched this episode i did not hear him say mile a minute frisbee but that's where i found in the in the notes so yeah um other uh, piece of trivia is that uh, the actor Clem Bevins, who plays Pete, was born on October 16th, 1879, which makes him the oldest, or as the trivia says, earliest born actor to appear in the series at all. So I thought that was mildly interesting. Um, so uh, there is also, in addition to... Um, to like the Astro Gator uh, and the steps from Forbidden Planet and everything uh, being used in this episode. In addition to that, there is, I think this was what I was talking about. No, 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 no. There's a console. I don't know. I This episode at the 21 minute, 20 second mark, uh, there's a console that's seen on the spacecraft that is the same one used in The Man from Uncle. So... Uh, so that's interesting. And, uh, so, uh, before I wrap up this review of, uh, of, of, um, oh God, of Hocus Pocus and Frisbee, I do want to say that, um, I want to, I'm just going to read the story, um, that was the basis for this. So basically if I remember, if I remember unlocking the door correctly, um, uh, the writer, 
the writer of the episode that became uh, Showdown with Rance, Rance McGrew, he was very impressed with it. Uh, Frederick Lewis Fox, um, he was very impressed with what came out of, of uh, Showdown with Rance McGrew. So he wrote Serling and said that um, said that he was very impressed and was very pleased with um, with what you know the show did with his story and everything and added things that were that were things that he hadn't considered and everything and made a much richer story of it so very humbled and and very uh very pleasant correspondence that he sent to sent to serling and so i think he had said like he had asked like if if you want any more or maybe serling responded and said like if you have any more you know you know send them our way and so what he did was he wrote out this like rough outline for a story and it's just a few paragraphs and it's called Mr. Tibbs and the Flying Saucer, which uh, Martin Grahams Jr. graciously reprinted in Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic. Uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and read the story. It's going to it's not going to take that long. So uh, here we go. Mr. Tibbs and the Flying Saucer. Elderly Henry Tibbs is a latter-day Munchausen who runs a service station in a small town on Highway 66 and never has a chance to go anywhere except in his fertile imagination. But vicariously, Mr. Tibbs is Walter Mitty, Frank Buck, and Jules Verne. He regales his customers with fabulous stories of his experiences and they, and Mr. Tibbs, pretend to believe everything he tells them. Unbeknown to Mr. Tibbs, his conversations are picked up by interplanetary radio on Mars and are uh, sponsored there by Happy Joe, a dealer in used ca uh, canal barges. Can canal barges. There you go. Um, <laughs> Happy Joe sends a Martian emissary to visit Mr. Tibbs to take him to Mars to collect residuals on the radio broadcasts. But Tibbs... But Tibbs settles instead for a trip around the world in a flying saucer. On his return, he is bursting to tell people about his fabulous unfitness trip around the world. Then, to his dismay, he learns that his name is on the front page of the local newspaper that day. Over the years, Mr. Tibbs has submitted material that has won him numerous honorable mentions. But today, of all days, he learns that he has finally won first prize in the Burlington Liars Contest. He has a small souvenir of his fly flying saucer trip, but he puts it in an attic trunk, closes the lid, and locks it. With a wistful sigh, he says, no one would have believed it. And that's the end of the story. I think that Serling did a good job of, of expanding upon that and making it more, uh, not necessarily down to earth, but making it more cohesive as a complete story of him being an entertaining figure for his friends and his social circle. So I think that it's it's good, but it it's a pretty interesting. There's some interesting details there, like the whole thing about um, uh, uh, Happy Joe sends a Martian emissary to visit Mister Tibbs to take him to Mars to collect residuals on the radio broadcasts. Like I don't know, it's just I like that detail. So so yeah, but anyway. That's the story that was the basis for it. So that's my review of Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Um, so now, uh, before I get into my bonus review, I just want to say thank you guys for listening uh, so far. 
And also, uh, let me know what you thought about Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Uh, did you have the same concerns I did? Did you have the same conflicts I did with the character? I don't know. Uh, but anyway, you know how to reach me. Uh, Matt at ObsessiveViewer.com or Facebook or, you know, Twitter, all that stuff. Um, so now I'm going to go into my bonus review to wrap up the episode. And that bonus review is going to be for an episode of Science Fiction Theater. So I am going to play the stinger here the um jingle here the theme song for science fiction theater so stay tuned week's episode of science fiction theater is episode 37 from the show's uh, first season we're coming up very close to the end of the series i think we have after this we have two more episodes for uh season one and then all of season two but uh this episode is called sound of murder it originally aired on january 7th 1956 it is available online as of now as of this recording on dailymotion.com i'll put a link in the show notes of the episode of course you can find those show notes at anthologypod.com slash zero nine four and uh the plot summary courtesy of imdb is a scientist accused of murder uses his professional knowledge to prove his innocence this episode was directed by jack arnold written by Stuart jerome and stars howard duff as dr tom matthews who would go on to play arthur curtis in the twilight zone's first season episode a world of difference and co-starring as charles lyons is russ conway and as uh, Professor Van Camp, who I think is only appears in like one scene, is Wheaton Chambers. So, as is usually the case with science fiction theater, we get an opening segment with host Truman Bradley as he gives a demonstration for us that relates to the theme of the story. And as someone who has spent almost a decade at this point talking into microphones and analyzing sound recordings and editing and posting them online and everything i was absolutely delighted that <laughs> he was talking about microphones and sound and everything so i was just like it just made me excited i don't know but he says um he introduces it by saying that you know you're hearing my voice now but how it's you know it's being picked up by this microphone on this boom arm and um, and that voice is being carried over to, uh, to like a, he showed like a real to real film thing. <laughs> um, and then he says, well, you know, what if we can change this? Like the, like the sound waves of my voice become like the sound is printed onto, onto the film as a sound like wave. And he shows like what, like what the sound wave looks like through, he calls it something. I can't remember what exactly the word was that he calls, but calls it, but Basically, he shows this screen that shows a sound wave, um, just wavy line and everything. And I thought that it was really cool because whatever it is, is like the same thing that uh, the same type of device or visual representation of sound of sound waves that's used in the opening of the Outer Limits uh, uh, show. 
uh, that would go on to be that. So it's that same like green line of sound wave that's moving and everything. So I thought that, that was really cool. And I kind of, I kind of liked Truman Bradley's, um, the way that he ends the opening segment, because he says that our story tonight is, uh, is to do with a much, a very dreadful sound. I don't know if he said dreadful, but he said like a very dreadful sound, the sound of murder. Um, so, so that's our, that's our introduction to the episode. And of course, I'm not going to spoil this episode, but I will share my, uh, overall thoughts on it. So, um, it's pretty entertaining. It's, there is a level of intrigue to it. So basically this man, uh, gets a call from his boss to, uh, to meet him before an event so that they can discuss some algorithm that he's using for some top secret project. They, they're working in DC and everything. Um, and then when the man does not return, he's found dead and the boss is, um, implicated in the crime because of the phone call. So the episode is about, uh, Tom, the main character, uh, trying to clear his name and trying to convince people that he did not call him, which is funny to me because it very much like it, it reminds me of obviously like scream, like in, in particular freaking scream three is ridiculous, but scream three having a, uh, a voice disguiser that can change people's voices. So it just reminded me of that. But anyway, um, the imitation effect of the voices is kind of the foundation of the science of the episode. And they go, go to great lengths to figure out like what, what's going on and why it happened and how it can happen. And then when we get to the motivation of the, of, of the mystery and everything and and the true culprit of it, I kind of was a little bit disengaged by it. Like I didn't really care who did it, but I did like the process of it. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. And interestingly enough, this obviously has some interesting kind of uh, modern day applications and implications for our modern society because it's a basically like the prototype for you know the i the idea of deep fakes online like people just creating very very realistic uh realistic looking videos of people that did not create that video or did, or did not record themselves so it is it's like we're going into a into a world where people can like someone with enough resources and talent can create a video of someone saying something or doing something unsavory and use that to, you know, destroy them or blackmail them or whatever. Uh, so it's very dangerous, very scary world that we live in and everything. But I found that interesting that in 1956, we had an episode that dealt with a similar type of thing. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was interesting. It's a fine enough episode. It's solid. Um, like I said, that kind of science aspect of it, there's, there's a really cool, like, uh, murder mystery moment where it's like, no, this is what, this is what's really going on. This is what's happened. This is how it's happened, which I appreciated and thought that that was pretty, that was pretty nice. Um, that was a good, like kind of Columbo moment. Um, so I did enjoy that as kind of a detective, detective story in the science fiction show. 
So it was overall, it was okay. It was okay. So anyway, (laughs) that is Sound of Murder from Science Fiction Theater's first season, episode 37. Again, we have two more episodes left of Science Fiction Theater. I had considered doing something different or changing it up like I I spent way too much time trying to figure this out but basically um with season 4 of the Twilight Zone being only 18 episodes that are hour long episodes I thought maybe I can take a break from science fiction theater and then return to it in when I get to season 5 of the Twilight Zone that way I can have more time to deal with these big hour-long episodes, but I scrapped that. I'm I'm not going to do that because I'm just going to go right into season two, I think, of of science fiction theater. It's all on the website. Uh, Go to the archive on anthologypod.com and you can see the roadmap that I have for the the podcast. But... um, but yeah, so that's my those are my thoughts on <laughs> this episode of Science Fiction Theater and my review of Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Um, I know that I've done more than 100 episodes with all the bonus episodes, but I'm very excited because next time on the podcast, we're going to be doing episode 95, uh, which is in which I'm going to be reviewing Twilight Zone's uh, The Trade-Ins, which I'm very eager to talk about that because... That was, I'm very eager to talk about that episode. And then we are also going to be reviewing Operation Flypaper from Science Fiction Theater Season 1. It is the penultimate episode of Season 1. So look forward to that. That should hopefully be up next week if I can find the time. Like I said, I have four screenings I'm going to next week. Um, But I'm very excited because we're getting close to the 100th episode, the 100th main episode of of, of Anthology which is awesome. I'm excited. I love doing this podcast and I love you guys for uh, supporting me and listening uh, to me and everything. It is very rewarding and everything. So anyway, I'll stop rambling. I'll start playing myself out. Uh, Yeah. Check out Patreon if you want to support the show and get a ton of exclusive content different different uh patreon tiers for different stuff it's all on the website patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um until next time uh i'm matt hurt and thank you guys so much for listening and i'll see you next week for the trade-ins and now enjoy this short clip from our patreon exclusive rss feed For the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, such as early access to episodes, TV, book, and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. ...about humanity's baby steps into the solar system. So this, like I said, this documentary is very much up my alley. I love the idea of space so much and i wish beyond all hope that you know the world can <laughs> explore space like i just i want that so bad um so to see like kind of a behind the scenes and uh look at the at the rovers on mars which let me stop really quick and just say how magnificent it is to realize to know that humanity has things on another planet like we've explored the moon we've gone to the moon but the the sheer fact that we have any we even have like um 
uh, is it Voyager that went like beyond the solar system, basically like that, like those, like I said in my review, baby steps into the solar system is massive and amazing. And I love it so much. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.